The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Philippians 3, verses 7 to 11. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. I'm so thankful to have my good friend, Pastor Andy Park, with us this morning. Andy is the senior pastor at Living Faith Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles. Uh, Last spring, our family was able to join their church for a church retreat, and I can tell you that church community was so warm and loving and servant-hearted, and we were so blessed to be with them. And by God's grace, I think part of why the community is like that is Andy's love for and reliance on the gospel. Um, I meet with Andy and some other pastors regularly, nearly every month, And Andy has been a pastor to me so many times when I've needed one. And so as I was planning this series in Philippians, even this summer, I knew I wanted him to come and share on this text, this section for us. And so I'm really excited that today is here. So please give a Fountain of Life welcome to our brother Andy as he comes to share God's word with us. All right. It's so good to be here. The worship has been so sweet and uh, just so glad to be able to join you in fellowship and worship. Uh, Our family actually got to come here uh, during my sabbatical last year, and so it's good to be back. And uh, we did have a leaders training uh, earlier this year, and it's so good to see familiar faces. Um, But yeah, so so good to be here. Um, I'm so thankful for Matt, for our friendship. God brought us together a few years ago, and uh, we hit it off right from the first conversation. And I was like, this guy, he knows me. He knows me. we had so much in common, and um, I'm just so thankful for uh, the friendship. I could go into all the things we have in common, but I don't want to bore you with all of it. But I, I was like, this is like the white version of myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and I'm the Korean version of, uh, of Matt. You know, it's, it's, you know, we've been in this, we've been serving our churches for 15 years, um, you know, uh, same age got married the same year, had our first kid the same year. It's just a lot of weird stuff, but it's just amazing how God brought us together, and I always look forward to those, um, those monthly meetings. I learned so much from Matt. He is a pastor to me as well, and, and so it's just it's such a privilege uh, to be here and to share God's word with you. Um, I'm very thankful to share this word with you um, from Philippians. Uh, first of all, because... It's just given me such great conviction uh, over the, uh, the years, especially in recent years. Um, 
This passage means a lot to me because it really filled in a gap in my own faith and uh, in my own walk. And uh, this applica- uh, the application of this text, it's really helped me uh, to stand firm in a lot of situations. And uh, Pastor Matt was preaching uh, last Sunday about how all of three is about so that we can stand firm, right? And, and this text has helped me to stand firm in a lot of situations, and I hope that it would help you as well stand firm in a lot of situations. And let me explain a little bit. You know, as, as we live life, we face all kinds of difficulties, don't we? Right? Difficult people, uh, difficult conversations, difficult situations, and uh, if we're really honest with ourselves, uh, we don't handle those things very well. You know, we react badly. Um, We get testy, defensive, sometimes vengeful. We can be very prideful, can't we? We can become very petty. Uh, We become prickly, right? Um, Injustice happens to us, we rage or, you know, outrage. Uh, a harsh word is, is received, it can crush us, right? Um, there's an unlovable person, and we run away from that person, right? And so if we're honest, a lot of times we're not like Jesus when we ought to be, and in so many situations and in relationships and so forth. And that can be discouraging, can't it? Especially when we've been walking with the Lord for a while, and that may be some of you. I remember there's this couple, they came to me and said, hey, Pastor Andy, can you marry us? I didn't know them really well, but uh, as I got to know them, I found out that they, they've been to, like, the best churches in America. Like, the, they've heard, like, the best preaching in America, and so I thought, okay, this counseling's going to go well. You know, they, they know their gospel. We get in. We get into our counseling sessions, and, and I, like, entered into a firefight, you know? It was just crazy. And they did not know how to uh, say sorry. You know, they stuck to their guns, guns blazing, um, talking, not listening, all kinds of things. And I'm thinking, they've been to the best churches in America and listened to the best preaching. And, wh- you know, what is going on? But it's not just them. It's me, too. You know, at home, uh, I just had a moment where I was, I, I was in my room. And, and in one part of our room, there's just piles of books that I've read that are just stacked up. And my wife hates that pile of books because it's just so <laughs> ugly. But there it is. And I remember just sitting there on my bed and going, man, I've read all these books, and I'm still spiritually immature. You know, my, my life does not reflect all that I know, and it's, it's almost shameful. You know, and I, I think about that, that inequality, or how else do you say it? Like, the incongruence of that, you know? And it's like, how do we grow? How do we grow? And, you know, in, in some of our weak, fleshly moments, we might even be thinking this, like, is there really power in the gospel? I don't see them changing, and I don't feel like I'm changing much, right? You know, and we start asking ourselves about the gospel itself. Well, the problem, of course, is not the gospel. 
The problem, it lies in us. And, and I would argue that we don't fully grasp all that we have in the gospel. And we don't fully follow the gospel thoughts of the Bible. And in this case, sometimes we miss verse 10, which is what I'm going to focus in on. You know, because verse, verses 1 through 9 is just awesome and breathtaking, right? You're like, yes, yes. And there's verse 10. And maybe for some of us, we're like, okay, that's a little, it, it's, it sounds real nice, but really, what is that? The power of his resurrection, fellowshipping in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And it sounds great, but it's like kind of abstract, you know. But we, we do have to move from all that we've read into verse 10 and finish out the gospel thoughts of Paul, so to speak. And I think our passage here, is, verse 10 in particular, it's here to help us grow, to equip us and about how to deal with life's trials, big and small. It has a lot of application. And the, uh, the best part of it is that through that, when we do apply that, man, we really come to know Jesus. And it's wonderful. And so I want to just help you through verse 10 and thinking through that. Um, as, as we go into it, for context's sake, I just want to do a quick review uh, of chapter 3 so we can just capture Paul's thought. I'm not going to go long on this, okay? I promise. Matt did an awesome job last Sunday. But basically, leading up to verse 10, Paul is speaking about righteousness, right? And that's not a small matter. It's not a small matter because it has to do with acceptance before God, right? And if it has to do with acceptance before God, it has to do with our joy. Righteousness is a joy matter, right? And Paul, he's discovered that by faith in Christ, he has been given Christ's righteousness, and he's gained acceptance before God. It's amazing. And he realizes this is something he could not have gained on his own. There's absolutely no way. I like what one old saint said. He said, to, to gain acceptance before God on our own, it's like climbing to the moon on a rope of sand. It's that hopeless. And, and yet, there's this righteousness from God that came to us that we didn't deserve. And it's all ours. And we're clothed in that. And because of that, we're accepted before God. And you see, Paul, he doesn't just believe in Christ's righteousness. He rejoices in it, doesn't he? This is part of rejoicing in the Lord, right? He rejoices in it. And so Jesus is everything to him. You get that sense. I mean, earlier, what does he say? To live, it's pretty good, but to die is actually better. Because I get to be with Jesus. right? And then he talks in our text about the surpassing worth of, of Jesus, of knowing him, right? And so Jesus is everything to him. And I want you to see Paul's train of thought. He goes from, I want to be found in him to, I want to know him, yeah. right? Found in him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that being found in him has to do with the matter of justification, right? Acceptance before God. I want to be found in him because if I'm outside of him, I'm not accepted before God. The only way is if I'm found in him. So he's like, I don't want to go anywhere else. This is where I want to be. I want to be found in him. But he moves from that and he goes, and I want to know him. I want to know him. 
And, and I don't want us to think about it rigidly where it's like, okay, you go from found in him and then you move to knowing him, right? And then you leave being found in him behind. No, no, you always hold on to that. But these are things that go together. That's basically what I'm saying. I want to be found in him. And then Paul says, I want to know him. So this is the gospel movement that happens in our hearts, right? You, you think about the work of Christ and it's breathtaking to you. And then it leads you to the person of Christ. Not in that bookish kind of way of like, oh, the hypostatic union of Christ, right? One person, two natures. How do we understand that? No, but the person, the beauty of Jesus, right? There's trusting in Christ's righteousness, and then there's being captivated by Christ's beauty. Psalm 27, which we just read. And so you find here that Paul, he's in love with Jesus, isn't he? And that's how the gospel works in a person. We are saved, and then we're just falling in love with Jesus, the person of Jesus. Jesus himself said that this is eternal life, to know him. It's to know him, right? You know, there's too much talk today, I think. I'm just going to give a little commentary here, okay? There's too much talk today that life is about self-knowledge, self-discovery, self-evolution. You know when the breakthrough happens in your life is when you discover yourself, right? Let's, let's go into our childhood and all this. Let me know myself. And that's where the breakthrough is. But... That, that's not Christian direction and guidance, right? What, what is the key to life? It's discovering Christ. It's, it's knowing him. And, be, and if you want to talk about some kind of evolution, it's, it's becoming like him. And I think counseling today misses that. That's where the breakthrough is. That's where life happens. That's where joy is. I want to know him. Yes, I need to know myself to some extent, absolutely. But more than that, I want to know Christ. And that's where the joy is, right? That's where the joy is. And so um, we got to follow Paul's gospel thoughts here. Have our hearts experienced that movement? Does trust in Jesus include treasuring Jesus, Right? I want us to just even think about that. You know, I've seen a lot of people who are able to articulate justification, eager to defend it, but when it comes time to worship Jesus, they're a little disinterested. When it's time to pray to Jesus or sing to him, they're a little disinterested. They'd, they'd rather go back to the classroom, you know, and we need to have that study time, and that's important, but... But see how that can happen sometimes in people? And you know, as a pastor, that sometimes happens to me. I enjoy studying the Word, you know? Understanding these rich doctrines of grace. I mean, who doesn't enjoy that? But at some point, it has to lead you to Jesus, right? To worship Him. I love Jesus, right? And so my point is that we got to get to the person of Jesus, falling in love with Him. There's getting into a relationship with Jesus, but there's also the living out, right, of our relationship with Jesus. And it's kind of like marriage. Is marriage just a wedding day? And after that, you say goodbye to your spouse? It's the beginning point, right? You, you're married, you've, you've fallen in love, and after that, it's, it's, it's a lifetime of getting to know them. 
right? And that's the way it is with Jesus. Now, the richness of verse 10 is not only this sense of, okay, I mean, what is the essence of our faith? I mean, we, we want to know Jesus, right? We treasure him. But also the richness of verse 10 is the fact that it shows us the way to know him, which is equally important. There's the, I want to know him, and then, okay, how do I get to know him? How do I really get to know Jesus? And knowing Jesus is understood in what follows. Paul says, this is knowing Jesus, knowing the power of his resurrection. And, and, and having, um, how does he put it? And sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I'd like to put that before you. That that's actually the way in which we know Jesus. And, and so it's, 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 it's not this ambiguous thing. And just an initial, an initial thought here. Knowing Jesus, it is an experiential knowledge. It has impact. And it has power. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's not abstract. It's going to break through into our lives. I have to quote John Calvin. You always have to quote him at least once, right, in the sermon? Uh, this is what he said. This is Calvin, right? It is not enough to know Christ as crucified and raised up from the dead unless you experience also the fruit of this. Wow. Calvin, he understands that. There is power in knowing Jesus, right? The crucified one who's been raised up. Now, here's my point. This is what I believe Paul is saying here, that according to Paul, we come to know Jesus by reenacting the gospel. Or if I could put it another way, to embody the gospel. We come to know Jesus when we die and rise with him. That is what Paul's getting at here. And I've been influenced a lot by um, Paul Miller and his ministry. He talks about some of these things. Is this a Pauline thing? No, Jesus talked about this. He talked about the grain of wheat, didn't he? Unless a grain of wheat goes, falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. You see the dying and rising? Now, is, who's Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about himself, of course, but he's also talking about us as well. We follow after our Lord in that same way, this dying and rising. And when we reenact the gospel in our own lives and we die and we rise, that is how we know Jesus and we'll know him very intimately. And Paul, he talks about this dying and rising and reenacting the gospel in a lot of places. You know, I think sometimes we, we think that Paul, all he talked about was justification by faith, right? This, you know, oh, Romans, Galatians, but we forget about First and Second Corinthians, Philippians, Philemon, and all these other passages where he's talking actually more about the life of reenacting the gospel of dying and rising. And he talks about it all the time. When I am weak, then I am strong, right? Poor, yet making many rich, right? Become fools that we would become wise. And he says, when you experience that, that is how we begin 
to know Jesus more intimately. And so we have to add this into our, like, discipleship, right? For, for deep spiritual growth. I'm going to say something crazy. Knowing Jesus is not just Bible, Bible reading and prayer, okay? It's not just word and sacrament. It's also through dying and rising with our Lord, reenacting the gospel in our lives. And I think that's been what's missing uh, in my own theology and walk for a long time. And, and as I've come to understand that, it's helped me tremendously. And I think the fact that this is often missing in our discipleship, I think it explains why, for example, correct doctrine alone doesn't transform people, right? Or retreats and revivals alone don't transform people. The traditional ways of knowing Jesus miss this. Both, if I could use, talk about both extremes, the conservatives and the charismatics. For, for conservatives, this is the way you know Jesus, through preaching, teaching, seminars, and sermons. And those are all very important things. But it's, it's, it's really just through that. And for charismatics, this is the way you know Jesus, through experiences and emotions, right? Through uh, worship, revivals, music, that kind of thing. And both miss it. And I would argue both are shortcuts to seek growth without the nitty-gritty of dying and rising. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just missing, right? And it was missing in my life. I don't, I don't say it as someone who had it, has it all together. But I, I think it does explain why sometimes you, have, you, you do meet Christians who've really been in church their whole life. They've, they've done the Sunday school, they've done the youth group, they've done the campus ministry, they get older, they're like in choir, and they're doing all these things, and yet the, the gentleness and meekness of Christ is not there. You know, you don't want to be around those kinds of people. You know, where, you know there's, there's people like that, and it's like, what happened? I mean, how many Bible studies have they attended? How many sermons have they heard? And yet they're still like that. And maybe for some of us, we, even as we look at ourselves, it's like, man, man, I've been walking with the Lord for a while, and why am I still like this? And is there this recognition, this, this acknowledgement, this intentionality of dying and rising with Jesus in our lives? So we grow to know Jesus as we reenact the gospel in our lives. And so suffering in our lives and death to self, those are good things. Why? Because they draw us into Jesus, right? To know him, you know? And when you fellowship in his sufferings, you fellowship with him. And so as we die with Jesus, as we uh, die like him, that's when we actually open our lives to the power of his resurrection. You see, we want kind of a shortcut to fruit and growth, right? We're like, uh, no, none of this dying business. Let me just go around and try to get up there. And then you find out, oh, you're still so spiritually immature, you don't handle things well, and you don't love people well. You know, there's no shortcut. You have, what, what does Jesus say? You gotta go down <laughs> to get to the fruit, you know? 
But a lot of us, we're like, none of the dying business, you know, as it enters into our life, none of that. Let me just try to do this other stuff and try to get there. There's one way to fruit life resurrection. It is through this path of dying, you know, and suffering. Now I'm talking in a lot of generalities here. You may be wondering, what does that look like? So what I want to do with the rest of our time is, is show you what that looks like in, in daily life. But what does, how, how, how do we see that in life where, you know, we're dying and, and rising with Jesus so that we would know him? So I'm just going to um, spend the rest of our time doing that. And, and I'm going to talk about different things just so I can try to touch upon, you know, a, a lot of different situations that we face. And so I want to give a lot of different examples. But maybe I could start off with a, a qualifier before I begin. Don't feel like you have to wait from a, for a dramatic crucifixion moment, okay? Because understand that Jesus' suffering did not begin in those last hours. It was his whole life, wasn't it? That's Philippians 2. It began when he was born a man. And it was his whole life. And if we are spiritually, spiritually aware, then we'll realize that there's many crucifixion moments that are presented to us throughout the day where God invites us to fellowship with Jesus and to know him. And, and so we'll talk about this. Um, this is what I don't want happening where you listen to this and you go, okay, I just got to die to myself, okay? Let me just die. I just need to die. I think you need to go a step further than that. You have to work at identifying how our suffering actually might shadow Jesus' own suffering. And when we see that some of our suffering and dying is like Jesus, it really changes things. You know, it, it makes it more meaningful. Well, first of all, it ministers to us, right? Because we go, okay, Jesus knows what I'm going through. Sometimes it's so powerful when someone's just like, I know, I know what you're going through. You know, I think about what Jesus said to the churches in Revelation, and he's like, I know. I know all that you've gone through, all that you're suffering for my name's sake. You know, if, if Jesus came down and he said those things to me, I would just melt, <laughs> you know, because it would be so meaningful. And, and Jesus is like that with us when we suffer like him, he's like, I know. And we stop being deists as if we think, you know, God, um, he doesn't know and he doesn't care, right? So it ministers to us in that way, Jesus knows, right? But secondly, we can really humbly and joyfully accept, you know, the suffering if it's, if it's like Jesus because it, we know this, it draws us into fellowship with him, right? That we might know him, And when we suffer like Jesus, not only does Jesus know what we're going through, but we begin to know what Jesus, what Jesus went through for us. And that's where it gets really powerful and meaningful. And that's where your gospel understanding is no longer theoretical, but real. When you suffer like Jesus, all of a sudden you start getting snapshots 
of his heart for you and what he went through for you to save you. And then it just really changes things. Like you don't know the humiliation of Christ until you've been humiliated for Christ, right? right? And what happens is that when you can identify these moments where, oh my goodness, you know what? This is kind of a suffering like Jesus is. All of a sudden, there's a radical shift in perspective and it sets you in a new direction. So let me talk about some of the ways in which Jesus suffered. One way Jesus suffered was that he loved people well. You know when you love people? Do you realize this? When you really take to heart to love people, you're entering into suffering and and the death. (laughs) Right? Right? That's the love language of heaven. You know, it, it's, you, you, you're drawn into suffering and death when you really make a commitment, you're going to love people. And that's why people don't love people. It's hard, right? And that's, that's what Jesus did. And, and Jesus, he, he knows one-sided love. Anyone experience one-sided love? Right? You're doing all the calling, emailing. You're doing all the reaching out. You're the one saying hello first. You're the one saying, how are you doing? You're the one asking about their lives. They never ask about your life. They never reach out to you. What do you do after a while, after you do one-sided love? At some point in our flesh, we say, forget it. It's not worth it. I don't have anything left in the tank, and they're thankless. So I'm going to cut my losses, and I'm going to move on. But what if in that moment and in that relationship, you remember Jesus? Do you think Jesus understood one-sided love? <laughs> Pursuing sinners and saving sinners is the business of one-sided love, Amen. right? And all of a sudden, you're doing one-sided love. Instead of cutting your losses and saying, forget it, you can go, all right, let me fellowship with Jesus in this because he knows what this is like. And you can enter into it, and you can go deeper, and you can continue to love that coworker, that friend, that relative, that fellow church member. You can keep at it. You can keep going because you know that in this, you're going to fellowship with Jesus. You're going to know him, and there's a promise that there's resurrection on the other side somewhere. Right? You see how it changes things? Right? Um, Betrayed by those that you love, rejected by those that you love, having to be patient with those that you love, having to cover over a multitude of sins of those that you love, sacrificing so someone else can benefit. You take a step back, they get to take a step forward from what you did. A lot of us would say, I'm not doing that again. I fell behind, they, 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 they gained. But then in that moment, what can you do? You can think about Christ, who took many steps back so that he can push us forward to God. And then you can enter into that. And if you come into a situation that's like that, you can be all in. This is where I get to know Jesus. This this is where growth happens, you see? And so this this is why it's so important. So... Just general categories like loving people well, 
Or what about injustice? Happens all the time, you know? We're all experiencing that on the road, right? In Southern California, injustice, right? Think about Jesus, just for, for a moment. He speaks the truth to people, okay? He performs good deeds. He heals people. What does he get in return? They want to kill him. He keeps doing that. They still want to kill him. And we have moments like that where somehow we, you know, we're in a place we got to stand for truth. And we're trying to be agents of good. And yet people are hating on us, despising us, all those things. Right? Some of us, we can break in that moment. Right? We can, we can lash out or whatever. But have you ever thought that in that moment, that's fellowship with Jesus? He draws you to himself in that. Amen, let's experience this together. Know my heart. Know my heart, right? Um, I think about how Jesus was always misunderstood. We hate being misunderstood, right? We're always wanting to clear the air, right? We're always misunderstood. Jesus was misunderstood, and what he would do is he would respond, and he would explain himself, and he would still be misunderstood, and he, he would still be misunderstood because people would want to think what they want to think about him, so they can do what they wanted to do to him. You see that? And then at some point, Jesus, he would just go quiet. And then he would deal with the false accusation and the consequences of that. You know, for some of us, we're, we're misunderstood. We want to go around the room and make sure everyone gets it right. You know what? Sometimes that doesn't always, it's not, not always effective. Can you speak up? Sure you can. But do you have to keep doing it, keep doing it? At some point, sometimes people will just think what they want to think. Step back. Be quiet. Maybe you're going to have to deal with some false accusation. But you know what? In that moment, Jesus draws you to himself. That's how you know him. And then when you're in that and you're like, this is hard, then you realize, this is how much my Savior loves me that he would go through this too. Do you guys see that? You know, and so if you're aware of these things, it, it, it gives you a different perspective and it sets you in the right direction. You know? Um, let me say something to you. If you insist on justice and equality in every relationship and in every situation, you will not grow. But that's how some of us operate, right? We're like the justice police. We're going around making sure everything's right. But if, and, and this is our culture, you know, demanding justice and equality, every relationship, every situation. If you do that, you're going to forfeit so many times where you could really fellowship with Christ and know him. What did it say about Jesus? He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That wasn't his big thing. And because he did that, he did suffer in, in different ways. Are there moments when you, you can speak up? And God will give you that wisdom when you can. But there's sometimes where, you know what? That fight, it's not your fight. But in that, 
you can, you can fellowship with Jesus. He knows what that's like. And then you realize what he went through for you as you struggle with it. Jesus, you love me. You know his heart. Jesus was degraded and, and disrespected, right? His whole life was going lower and lower. And just when you thought it couldn't go any lower, it goes lower, right? Philippians 2, as he talks about having the mind of Christ, right? Here's Jesus became a man, emptied himself, and it's just a life of going lower and lower, right? And sometimes we have to go with Jesus in that way. I know there's some children in the room here. It's tough being laughed at sometimes, right? Sometimes that's the most painful thing. Man, even when you're grown up and you get laughed at, that's hard. But you know, even Jesus understood that. You know, Jesus got laughed at? The Son of God. You know, you get laughed at, you're like, do you know who I am? Don't laugh at me. He's the Son of God, and he got laughed at. And you know, if you're feeling some of that pain, fellowship with Jesus in that. He knows, right? And you get to know him in that. Get mocked, name called. Has anyone ever just wagged their head at you in just disapproval? Like, you're ridiculous. That's what people were doing to Jesus as he's hanging on the cross, wagging their head. You're ridiculous. I, I have a relative who is an unbeliever, you know. She is a, she is a lesbian. And I, and I was talking to them, and at some point God opened the door where I could share my faith a little bit, and there was that condescending wag of the head, like, this is, this is just foolish talk. Do you know how hard that is? Your pride is rising up. Like, how dare you, you know? But man, in that moment, what can you do? Is there a better way? Where if you are aware of Jesus' own suffering, you can enter into that. Jesus, you know what this is like. And, and you could fellowship with him in that. And there will be a rising at some point. And you trust in him. Temptation. Jesus knows the intensity of temptation. Right? That was part of his suffering. And he knows it to a far greater degree than any of us because he never succumbed to it. Right? Temptation only becomes hard when you actually fight it. That's true, right? <laughs> And he fought it to the very end. You know, for us, we buckle. We don't really know, like, the intensity of temptation because our resolve is not that great. But when you're tempted and you're feeling that, some of those sinful desires, you've got to fulfill it, you know, got to satisfy it, and you're just struggling through it, and you want to do the right thing, you're struggling with your flesh, and it's just, it's just, it's just painful, and it's, it's hard. But what we fail to realize sometimes is that Jesus knows what that's about. Actually, he knows it even more than you. And you could be drawn into the life of Jesus in there at that point. Come to know him. And Jesus, you did all of this. You fought temptation for me so you could live the perfect life and give it to me. 
thank you. You know, and, and so you, you, you see how, like, you do that? You suffer and die with him? You come to know him. And this is when discipleship goes deep, brothers and sisters. This is when it goes really deep. Um, and there's ways that Jesus suffered that we don't even think about, like family. You know, are you in a family where they don't respect your faith? Sometimes that can be hard. Do you know Jesus knows what that's like? <laughs> Which is interesting to think about. Or, or that faith divides the family, right? That's hard, faith, when faith divides the family. Because um, it makes family gatherings so awkward. And you don't look forward to it. Thanksgiving is rolling around. Are there some of you not looking forward to it? Because it's awkward. There's a faith divide that, that just intensifies some of the tension. And you're like, why? You know, I've struggled with that. I'm like, God, why am I in a situation where the holidays are horrible? Like, I don't look forward to it. I should be looking forward to Thanksgiving. I should be looking forward to Christmas. And I don't because it's so tense and awkward sometimes. And the conversations, you got to walk on eggshells. I hate that. Why? But even there, Jesus knows what it's like when relatives don't respect your faith. It divides the family. And in that, you can come into the holidays and say, this is a time to fellowship with Jesus, right? To know him in this. What about a family background of brokenness and shame? And we're like, why, why do I have this? Why did I come from this? And it's like a source of pain for you and, and even shame. Well, have you read Jesus' genealogy in Matthew? Have you seen his family background? It's not great. Prostitutes, murderers, low-class people. Jesus, Jesus can come alongside you in that, too. You see? And it's interesting, in Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus suffered in every way. And we go, yeah, not really. But think about our Lord and all that, all the ways he suffered. And there's some of you guys, ministry leaders, you ever invest in people and they leave you? You ever feel like you're the only one who cares about the church? That can be hard. That can be frustrating. That can make you bitter. Am I the only one who cares? How do you think Jesus felt when he went to the cross and everyone abandoned him? I am dying for the, I'm dying for the church, and they have all left me. This huge sacrifice, everyone left me. And so when some of you find yourself, you're the only one folding up the chairs, putting them away, Everyone's taken off to do what they need to do next. You're folding the tables. Jesus knows what that's like. We can fellowship with him in that. You, had, you ever had people over to your house after a long day, and you really didn't want that? Oh, it's been a long day, and people are coming over. And we're having community group, right? We're having, oh, and it just weighs heavy on you. It's amazing. Jesus even knows what that's like. 
doing ministry, and then he comes back to his house, and then it's just crowded with people. And he's like, okay, let's do some ministry here. You know, and he kept his sanity because he always woke up early to pray to the Father, right? But do you guys see that? Man, so many opportunities to know Jesus. But you see a lot of times we don't see that. And so this opportunity of growth and knowing Jesus, we, we miss it, so to speak, right? Jesus knows what it's like to be excited about the kingdom and then reach out to people and then to hear lame excuses why they can't come. Uh, I got a field that I just bought. I'm sorry, you know how that goes. I just bought some oxen. Uh, my favorite one is, hey, I just got married. You know what that's like? <laughs> You know, sorry, I can't be there. Any of you in ministry ever experienced that? Excited about the kingdom of God, trying to rally people together, and everyone's like, no, oh, sorry, I got this, I got that. That's hard. As a pastor, I go through that all the time. And what, what, what's our reaction? A lot of times it's like, forget them. I'm never going to organize anything again. Right? They're thankless. Boy, it's like, oh my, my Lord and Savior Jesus. He knows what that's like. And I could draw near to him and I could, I could grow in that. Some of you work is like your big thing, right? Ever feel like you're stuck in a mundane job? that is limiting, that is boring, that you're so above it, you feel like you're so much better than what you're doing. And anybody ever feel that way, you know, about their job? This is just mind-blowing. That Jesus, the Son of God, creator of heaven and earth, would narrow his life down to being a carpenter in Nazareth, hammering nails every day, framing, doing stuff like that, handling wood. You think there was a moment where Jesus was like, I'm above this. (laughs) He's the son of God. And he narrowed himself down to be a carpenter, hammering nails. You think Jesus doesn't know what that's like? To be in a job where you're like, I'm, I'm above this. This is boring. He created the universe. He's hammering nails. You know, we, we, if we saw uh, Leonardo da Vinci um, sweeping a parking lot, we'd be like, no, man. No, you shouldn't be doing that. Son of God. I just have a few more here, and then we'll wrap up. But even in, in, in ways we never even thought Jesus, Jesus suffered, like Jesus was a firstborn son, and he bore firstborn responsibilities. And this is what I mean. He, had, he knew what it was like to take care of a widowed mother. And it's amazing that as he hangs on the cross, his mind is full of other people. Right? And he's thinking about his widowed mother, Mary, and he, he tells John to take care of her. 
You know, he, he bore that, that burden. Some of you, you guys have family responsibilities. You have an aging relative. You have a loved one who needs a lot of attention. You know, you wonder, and there aren't people around who are really aware of all that you're doing, you know? This is a time to, to be with Jesus in that, right? There's a time to be with Jesus. I have this one brother at my church. He, his work is so demanding, and he's, he has to deal with so many people. And this is, this is what he always complains to me in a very holy way. He's like, Andy, I hate the fact that I always have to be on my gospel A game. I hate that because if I'm not walking with the Lord, things blow up. I get angry. People are hurt. I always have to be on my gospel A game. And he's like, it's, you know, it's you know, there's kind of this pressure. Um, there, there's a sense of discipline that needs to happen in his life. And he's struggling with that. I got to be on my gospel A game. And I feel for him, you know, because I, I know what kind of job he has. Do you think Jesus understands that too? What it's like always to be on your gospel A game? Everyone trying to catch him in a mistake, right? Catch him in his words, you know, try to win the argument. Every, all the watching world is on him to make one mistake. Can you imagine that kind of pressure? You know, and the fact that he delivered perfection in that, which is amazing. But like, as we struggle, like, maybe it's already known that in the workplace or where you're at, you're the Christian. All eyes are on you. You blow up once, like, you know, they're going to be all over you, right? They're going to jump on you. And you're like, oh, that, that, that's a, you feel like that's a burden. Come to Jesus in that. Let him fellowship with you in that, that you would know him. And the last example I want to give is, is just listening. One way we suffer and die is listening, because a lot of us like to talk. Now, there's some of you, introverted folks, where to die is to actually talk. <laughs> okay, I get that. I'm an introvert too. But for most of us, dying is, in communication is actually listening, right? Now, I want you to think about Jesus. He's the Son of God, right? He knows everything, and he's right about everything. What does that mean? You should not talk, and he should be doing all the talking. You take a step back, and you let Jesus talk, because he's the Son of God. But it's amazing what Jesus does when he meets people. What does he do? He asks questions, right? He listens. You know, there's that woman who was bleeding for 12 years. He, he has to go off and, and help a sick young girl. But he takes time to listen to her story. It's amazing. You know, he, he's, he's asking questions. You know, he's listening. You know? And some of you, that's going to be a total death. But sometimes in those conversations, you, you should just say, I'll just be quiet. I don't have to say anything. Even though I have all these opinions I want to say, you know. Can you take a step back and, and listen? And as you listen and you, you hold your, you know, you, you squeeze your lips, fellowship with Jesus in that.
you know. And it's through that that we experience resurrection and fruit and life, and that's a promise. And how does that look? One way it looks is personal transformation. We just become more humble people, right? There's more peace. There's more freedom. Because what happens a lot is that we get into these situations. We don't like it, and uh, we react badly, but it, you know, it just it leads to worse and worse things. We become bitter and all kinds of things, right? But when we die with Jesus, it, it's actually liberating. Peace and freedom. Someone said, um, I hope I get this right, that bitterness is, um, is eating poison while uh, hoping the other person would die. <laughs> you know, and that's a lot of us in, in these dying situations because we don't go in the right direction. But actually, when we follow Jesus, he rescues us from that and he frees us from those things. And what's amazing is like the, the, the apostles, they suffer for Jesus, like Jesus. What's their reaction? Joy. A lot of joy. Part of the resurrection is our personal transformation. Part of it is the reconciling of relationships. All our dying is going to make for good, healthy relationships. You know what's going to make you an expert at relating to people? You know how to die. You know how to suffer. You know how to defer. You know how to listen. You know how to do all those things. And when you die, you win people. And you win relationships. And there's reconciliation. Paul, in, in chapter 2, basically, he's saying, be united, guys, and this is the way. Humility. The fruit, the resurrection power of unity comes by way of humility. Have the mind of Jesus. Right? Go in, in that direction. I remember one time I was, um, there's this one sister who wasn't coming out to community group, and, you know, we prepare meals, and we just need the head count. So I just said, hey, you know, next time, like, just uh, let us know if you're coming or not, because, you know, we prepare food, just let us know. And so I sent her the email, and then later on, I just got blasted with an email. Like, you, like, you think I'm just missing community group and just, you know, sitting, sitting down in my room watching TV or something like that? You don't understand my life, you know? I, I work and blah, 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 I do this and that. And it was just this long email, just blasted me. How do you think I reacted to that? I was, I was ready to blast back. I was like, oh, oh, okay. You want to play this? All right. But at some point, by God's grace, he kind of kept me back. And the reply I gave was, hey, let's, uh, let's talk after church, you know. Obviously, you know, you're hurt by this. And I went into the meeting, even though I felt like there was a long list of things that she had done, I went to the meeting and said, you know what, I'm going to say sorry first. Sorry that I did this over email. I should have done this face-to-face, -face and I should have done it better. Even though I felt like my, my offense was less. So she comes into my office, you know, and I'm thinking, she's got her guns blazing. And then I just say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have sent the email. I should have just talked to you face-to-face, -face, and I should have listened a little bit. And all of a sudden, whatever guns she had blazing 
she put back. And what was crazy was it really opened up a ministry opportunity. She started tearing up, telling me about her life. And I'm like, what would have happened if, if I didn't say sorry in the beginning? What would happen if I didn't die like that? It would have been just shooting bullets at each other and the relationship in shambles. But you see, when you, you suffer and die, it wins relationships. That's part of the resurrection that we experience. And also, it's like a rede redeeming a situation. That's, that's resurrection power, the redeeming of a situation. So, like, you see Joseph's life, right? Is it not this dying and rising, Ruth? It's this dying and, and rising of, and redeeming a situation. When we die, that's off, that often happens. God redeems a situation. I have a lot of stories I could tell. I'll just tell you one, all right? And we're almost done here. So um, one time this brother asked if he can borrow a, a, a commentary, a commentary on Luke. And I'm a pastor. I don't own many things. I don't have many treasures, but the one treasure I do have is my books. So he asked me, uh, hesitant, but I know what the right thing to do is, to be generous. So I let him borrow the commentary. Few months passed by. Um, I decided to come up to him and say, "Hey, uh, you done with that commentary? Uh, you know, because I need it." And then he's like, "Oh, I thought I gave that to you." And I'm like, um, "No, no, I don't think you did." He's like, "No, no, I, yeah, I did. I remember, I, I gave it to you." And all of a sudden, it's my problem. You know, I'm like. Okay, I said it a couple times, all right. And you know, in that moment, you know what I was thinking? I'm never letting anyone borrow any of my books ever again. This is what people do with my books? Forget it. At some point, though, I think God kind of turned me around and said, no, you got to be generous with your stuff. You know, this is, this is Jesus-like. You got to you know, be generous, even with your books. So I don't have my Luke commentary, so I go, I go on a website, okay. I decide not to get that commentary that I gave him, I, this other one, but I was really eyeing this other commentary, but it was like super expensive. So I thought, okay, I'll just get this other one. So I clicked on it, got it, ordered it. It comes to my house, and I open, uh, I open it up, and there's more books in there. I'm like, huh? So I look, at, it's the commentary that I ordered, but it was also the commentaries that I was eyeing, the, the ones that were super expensive. And I'm like, what's this doing in here? And I'm like, oh, shoot, I got I to gotta call at the bookstore. I, I'm a pastor, right? I'm a Christian. <laughs> got to do the right thing. Uh, you guys made a mistake, you know. Um, I got I to send these commentaries back to you. They're like, um, actually, you just keep them. I said, what? I said, yeah, you know what? You, got, you can just keep it. It was a mistake on our end. You can keep it. And I was like, Oh, my goodness. So I get the commentaries that I really wanted, and this other one, and sure enough, like a year later, the guy's like, oh, you know, I was in my room, in my closet, and uh, I, I, I found the commentary. And I'm like, oh, thank you. So I get the justice, and then I get the bonus of <laughs> these other commentaries. I'm like, this is what God does, you know? We live like Jesus. You know, and a lot of dying, giving, sacrificing, suffering. But in that, there is always promise. 
of resurrection power. Um, when it comes to suffering, guys, I mean, let's be honest, we're more American than we are Christian, aren't we? Right? We always want to get rid of it, avoid, avoid it. We want to pay it back. We want to give it back to someone else. We let it rot our insides. We whine. We rant. We do a lot of different things, and it always takes an ugly turn. But you see the gospel. Don't you see the gospel? It gives us better instincts, right? It gives us better instincts, and it points us in a better direction so that when we suffer, we can humbly accept that. And we can use that, suf- that suffering to be drawn in to Jesus, right? And it opens us up to his resurrection power. And in that way, in that way, we come to know Jesus, the one who loved us and died for us, and the one we will be with in eternity in heaven and just more and more getting to know the beauty of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his life and his death and his resurrection, which means life, peace, salvation for us. And Father, you call us not to only embrace the gospel, but to embody it, to live it out in our lives. Lord, help us to see that that is the way to know you and to know the power of your resurrection. May we follow in the footsteps of our Savior that we might know him. Lord, we confess that we we react badly to a lot of different things. We have places of growth. And Lord, thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you that there's always forgiveness for us. Lord, we pray for your spirit, though, to just give us those better gospel instincts, to understand that we are to follow our Lord. And, um, and Lord, set us on the right direction, that we would really, that you would really bring about the beauty and the likeness of Christ in all of us and all for your glory. Lord, may this word bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.